0: Take your Bible or your iPad, whatever you have with you tonight, and turn with me to the this book of Psalms, Psalm chapter eighty. I just want to say it is I think I saw a few kids in the room tonight. Did I see a few kids in here tonight? If you're young people over here, I'm so glad that you guys are here, believing for something great for you in this service in these altars tonight. How many of you know our children, our students must experience? the power of Pentecost in their life. I was 10 years old when I I was 8 when I was saved, 10 years old when I received the baptism in the Holy Ghost, and I've never been the same. I'm believing people are going to receive that gift tonight that are hungry to receive. But I want to preach tonight on this thought the necessity of revival. The necessity of revival. Psalm 80, and then we're going to look at Psalm 85. Psalm 80, then Psalm 85. Psalm 80, verse number 19. Turn us again to yourself, O Lord God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. That's the truth, isn't it? Psalm 85, verse 6. Most of you know this verse, but it's so true. Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for the unction, the ability to be effective, Lord, in the Holy Spirit tonight. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us the ability through that anointing that comes, that takes us beyond ourselves. And Holy Ghost, I pray that you would do the preaching tonight. Lord, you know what's in my heart. Help me to be able to convey what is in my heart and express it tonight with confidence and effectiveness. I pray that this message would come across tonight bathed in the love of Jesus. Open our hearts and spirits to receive it. And I pray, Lord, that tonight you'd begin a fresh shaking in us. I believe, Lord, for fathers and mothers and students and children, young children, for a hunger for the move of God to be birthed again in their spirit. And I pray that, Lord, you would use this church on this corner in a religious town that needs the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in an unprecedented way. I pray it would flow like a river fresh and new out of this house from all its ministries Let people sense, feel, and know. Let the word get out like Mark chapter 2 that Jesus is in the house. We ask it in your precious name and everybody said, Amen. Once upon a time, there was an orderly church in an orderly town. The people were nice. The worship team was nice. Worship services were meeting the approval of most everyone. After all, the Holy Spirit was allowed to move to a point. The guarded spontaneity kept things, well, nice. Most everyone in the church seemed very comfortable with the predictability of niceness. And although there were no nameplates on the pews, everyone knew who sat where. The Sunday services rarely went past noon, and that was nice. Everything was noticeably neat and nice. But then things began to change. It's hard to say when it all happened, but an uneasiness over lost humanity began to squeeze the hearts of God's people. Prayer meetings that had always been poorly attended and business as usual took on new fervency. The pastor's theology suddenly caught fire and singing and testimonies began to spill from hearts that were full And running over and Acts chapter 2 season of suddenlies had broken out in the congregation in Sunday school classes and even in worship practice while driving to and from work and in the homes of the congregation, authentic New Testament worship was breaking out. It seemed that every detail and every participant had become focused as one heart, one mind, one goal. The unity of the upper room had now become reality. However, all of this did not come without cost. There was a relinquishing of control. While operating in biblical order, there was a new openness and willingness to make room for the Holy Spirit to move as He desired. Agendas were set aside to allow freedom in the Spirit. There was the crucifying of the flesh and the humbling of self and vainglory. As a result of this new burst of divine energy, predictability gave way to variety. At times, there seemed to be more of a mess than anything else, and the Holy Ghost was leaping over man-made boundaries, and there was no telling where this might lead. People began coming from everywhere until people were no longer assured of getting to sit where they had always sat. After all, one pre- one definition of Pentecost is predictable unpredictability. There was a noticeable shift in the congregation from only desiring the respectable sinner to an attitude of whosoever may come. Social status faded away, and the rich, the middle, and the poor were sitting next to one another with their hands raised, praising God together. This is what revival looks like. Dr. Tim Hill, the general overseer of the Church of God in Cleveland, Tennessee, wrote a book a few years ago entitled Beyond the Mist. And in that book, he points out that the Bible begins with the mist but ends with the river. Genesis chapter 2 verse 6 tells us at creation there was a mist that watered the vegetation. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1 tells us that there was a crystal pure river that flowed from the throne and the Lamb. The mist represents sustenance. Enough to get by. The river represents abundance. The fullness of what God intends for his people. I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied with the mist tonight. I'm hungry for the river. We must realize that there is more available to us than a mist. There must be more than just hearing about revival. There must be the experience of the river of revival. Now, several years ago, I started telling my youngest daughter, Libby. uh, She's 11 now. She was probably 7 or 8 then. And I was trying to convince her that peanut butter was the only way to go with pancakes. That peanut butter and syrup. I tried to convince her for years that peanut butter and syrup You can't get any better than that on pancakes, and she never would try it until just not long ago on a Saturday morning when I was home. Bridget fixed actually that morning waffles, and she put peanut butter and then the syrup on those. I'm getting hungry thinking about it right now. And after she tasted, she finally believed me. It's one thing to talk about something. It's one thing to describe it. It's another thing to experience it. There is a vast difference of being on the verge or being in the vicinity of revival than experiencing the vitality, victory, and validity of revival. The man in John chapter 5 who had been laying beside the pool of Bethesda had been on the verge of revival for 38 years. And the Bible says that during a Jewish feast that Jesus was in Jerusalem and that there was a pool called Bethesda that had five porches and there was a multitude of lame, sick, and blind folk that would gather there. And occasionally the angel would show up and trouble the water in the pool and whoever could get into the water first... Would be healed. Now Jesus noticed this man. And knew he had been in his condition for a long long time. And he asked him a question. Jesus said do you want to get well? Do you want to move past the verge? Do you want to move past the vicinity? Do you want to move into the vitality and experience of healing? And this lame man said I want to be made whole. But when the angel shows up to stir the water. I have no one to help me. And somebody always beats me. To it. He had depended on others all of these years, and the best that they could do was get him to the edge of that popular pool. But all of a sudden, Jesus said, get up, roll up your bed, and walk. And immediately, he stood up. He moved past the verge of healing and stepped into the victory of experience. Mark chapter 10 tells us about a man we call Blind Bartimaeus. The Bible says that Jesus came to Jericho, and when they were leaving with the disciples, and a huge crowd was following, the Bartimaeus was beside the road begging and Bartimaeus realized that Jesus was close by he realized he was in the vicinity of Jesus and began to cry out to the top of his voice Jesus son of David have mercy on me and the the, the people said listen man you need to be quiet you don't need to bother him pipe down and the Bible says that blind Bartimaeus just got louder and cried out Jesus Son of David, have mercy on me. How do you know when you get desperate for Jesus? When you get desperate for a miracle? When you get desperate to get in past the verge into the experience of a move of God in your life? When you're dead and you're cold and you're dry and you're indifferent and it just doesn't have that closeness that you once had? Sometimes you got to find your voice again. And
1: people said Hey,
0: Jesus stopped and told us to come get you and come over here. So they brought old Barney over to Jesus. And when it's interesting, when they brought Bartimaeus to Jesus, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. Now, it's very interesting to me that Jesus asked a man at Bethesda's pool if he wanted to get well, had been there all those years, and he asked Bartimaeus if he wanted to see or get well. But you see, when Jesus asked a question, he's not needing information. It's because we need revelation. You would think it'd be obvious that the lame man wanted to walk and Bartimaeus wanted to see. But not everyone who is lame wants to walk. And not everyone who is blind wants to see. There are a lot of people who are enjoying their lameness. There are a lot of people who are relishing in their blindness. Yet more importantly, so many are content to be in the vicinity of the transformational power of Christ, to be in the general area of an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, but not know its reality. I want you to understand something tonight, that revival meetings are not just days you set aside. Now, this is important. Revival is not just days we set aside to focus on being together and pursuing God. Now, all of that is a part of revival coming, but revival is when an awareness of Jesus Christ falls on a congregation and falls on a community. Revival is when the convicting power of the Holy Spirit falls upon a general area, falls on a congregation, falls on a city, and people begin to get under conviction for the way that they're living, and a godly sorrow falls. Oh, God, hear our prayer tonight. Hear this event. Evangelist, Hear the cries of people at Oak Grove Assembly of God. We are not content with being on the verge. We're not content with watching it somewhere else. We're not content. We're happy for others to experience it. But we want to move past the verge. We want to move past hearing about it. We want to move past only memories of the past to a fresh, real, up-to-date experience of the validity of the power of God in our lives. In Acts chapter 3 we read of the man who was laid daily by the temple gate called the beautiful gate. And the Bible says this man had been lame from birth. The Bible later says that this man was above 40 years old. So the majority of his life he is brought daily to beg in existence at this gate. We're not ex- given an exact time frame but we understand he came there every day for a long and expensive, extensive period of time. So Here he is for years leaning up against the house of prayer. People going in nine, noon, three o'clock six in the evening prayer times going all day long all of those years watching people go in discouraged and come out encouraged watching people going in despondent but coming out after having worship with a different look on their face leaning up against the very entrance to the house of prayer yet never had for 40 years experienced it himself there's a whole lot of people been coming to our churches for a long long time and they've been sitting in the pew and they've been sitting in the worship and they've been all around it and they've heard some things and they heard about what happened a long time ago but they've never entered in the water themselves they still are in the mist barely they've never known what the river is all about let me tell you friend it's one thing to hear about it it's one thing to hear stories about it it's one thing to be in a service where other people are experiencing it but it's another thing brother and sister to move into this fresh experience for yourself and Jesus wants to give it to every person who is hungry there are three primary hindrances that will be a stalemate to revival and that will keep us lame on our bed and each of these seeks to stop
1: or limit the move of God
0: number one tonight is the spirit of Herodias The spirit of Herodias. The spirit of Herodias desires to silence the voice of repentance. Herodias wants to silence or stop the voice of repentance. Matthew 14 tells us about the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist's ministry was very confrontational. He confronted wickedness, which included national leadership and spiritual leadership. His message was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He even had the audacity to call out Herod for committing adultery with his brother's wife and displaying no shame about it, living in it openly. Peter Cartwright was a circuit-riding Methodist preacher. His ministry was operating during the time when Andrew Jackson was president of the United States. Peter Cartwright became a very sought-after speaker. People came from everywhere to hear him preach. And one particular Sunday, President Jackson was in the area or vicinity where Peter Cartwright was preaching and came to hear him preach. Now, someone admonished him not to say anything out of line that would be offensive to the president. And when Peter Cartwright took the pulpit, he said, and I quote, I understand Andrew Jackson is in the room. Somebody asked me to guard my remarks. Well, Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent. President Jackson waited at the back of the church to shake Peter Cartwright's hand and said, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. He was impressed with the man who wasn't moved by the presence of the president in the place, but declared the word of God without fear or favor. You see, Herodias wasn't going to be called out. The woman that Herod was having the affair with, she was not going to take it. And so what did she do? One particular evening as her daughter Salome was dancing before Herod, the Bible says that he was overtaken with lust and in a moment just blurted out, I'll give you anything that you want. And influenced by her mother Herodias, she said, I want the head of John the Baptist. What were they doing? They were silencing the voice of repentance. They were not going to allow anyone to tell them what they were doing is wrong. They would even go as far as to remove his head from his body to be quiet. Why? Because when you remove the head from the body, it comes the loss of vision. When you remove the head from the body, you have loss of hearing. When you remove the head from the body, you have the loss of ability to speak. Who is Herodias tonight? She is anything that causes us to lose our focus and forget our priorities. She is a tantalizing and seductive distraction of Satan sent to entertain us to the point of abandoning our good sense. And we must be very careful. You hear this preacher tonight, as individuals, as moms and dads of homes, as people, we must be very careful as a church who we allow to dance in front of us.
1: Not only repentance.
0: Of personal sin, the repentance of national sin, many of you may have heard just a few weeks ago, the San Francisco gay men's choir put out a video and made the statement, "We are coming for your children, saying that they're bringing that lifestyle with a vengeance to take our children. Just two weeks ago u s Olympic soccer player showed up at the Metropolitan Opera in New York City at a gala event and she was dressed in an American flag and was carrying a purse and on that purse it read not in God we trust but in gay we
1: trust. Tonight we need to repent
0: for our tendency to forget our need of God. In Isaiah chapter 6 Isaiah had the realization of how needy he was. This prophet of God, when he experienced the presence of Almighty God, he fell to his face and said, I am unclean, and I dwell among people who are unclean. Isaiah realized, being in the presence of God, how small he was in comparison to a holy God. He realized how dirty he was compared to the purity of a holy God. And I make no, I'm make i not ashamed to say it tonight, This nation needs to fall on its face and repent. Our churches, many of them operating in arrogance, feeling as though we've got everything figured out. We have a lot of circumstances and situations where the Holy Ghost, they require him to clock in and clock out, telling him when he can come and when he can leave. That is the epitome of all arrogance. We we—we have forgotten ourselves. We need to realize that unless the Holy Spirit comes, that nothing of eternal significance is going to take place. Unless the anointing of the Holy Ghost is in the house, nothing is going to happen. I can do nothing. You can do nothing. On my best day, I can't sing to make it happen. I can't preach to make it happen. I'll never be able to make it happen in my own power. It's of a contrite heart that we fall before the Lord and say, I can't take a step without you. I can't take a breath without you. If you don't come, we're dead in the water. We're absolutely, totally dependent upon you. But we've learned how to do this thing and because we've been so blessed with incredible facilities and with finances we think we begin to think that we can get by with or without the Holy Spirit that we're fine if Jesus shows up and we're fine if he doesn't show up without him we will fail Isaiah 57 verse 15 for thus says the one who is high and lifted up who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place and also with Him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. If anybody's here tonight, anybody listening by Facebook Live, this preacher speaks to you in love tonight and to love and everyone in every one of this room. But when we come to Jesus... To give Him our life, we must come in repentance. But as a word, I do not apologize. What does repentance mean? It means to change our mind, to change our direction, to turn around. We don't just bring Jesus into our sin when we come to Jesus and just make Jesus a piece of the pie and the spiritual casserole and the spiritual gravy. No, we forsake the life of sin that we lived. And we make Him Lord of our life. And we mortify that old man by the Holy Spirit and put a death, put him to death and are raised to new life in Christ. But the spirit of Herodias wants to silence the voice of repentance. There are even many preaching today
1: that we don't have to repent. There are many preaching today that once you come into Christ, that if you sin, you don't have to repent anymore. That is a lie. And it's a dangerous doctrine. I come into relationship with Jesus.
0: I'm moving to a place where I'm living a life that's in opposition to His Word. I must again come to Him with a contrite heart and repent of my sin. But let me say this, when a person really gets saved, it doesn't mean they'll no longer be tempted. It doesn't mean they'll be perfect, but what it means is when a person really gets saved, there's a desire in their heart to want to please God. When somebody really gets saved, there'll be something in you that does not want to live in your flesh. Hallelujah. Number two, not only the spirit of Herodias, but second of all, we mentioned her this morning. We're going to mention her again tonight is the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel desires to silence the voice of revival. Herodias wants to silence the voice of repentance. Jezebel wants to silence the voice of revival. Jezebel's husband Ahab had the title and the crown, but she had the control. The Jezebel spirit rejects the thought of submission to godly authority and bristles at anything that suggests the embracing of humility. This spirit promotes rebellion and insurrection in the body of Christ. And 1 Samuel 15, 23 identifies her for what it is and who she is as witchcraft. 1 Kings chapter 17 tells us that the prophet Elijah issued the decree that it was not going to rain. And by the time chapter 18 gets around the famine had become so severe that people were eating bird dung and donkey's heads. you got to be hungry to eat that. And it had been over three years at this time. And interestingly enough, the prophet Obadiah was working in the house of Ahab. I just want to encourage you people of God tonight that God has people in high places we don't even know of. There are people in places all over this nation that have influence that are godly people that are holding up this standard. We don't even know them. But Obadiah was serving the king and the king said, well, my donkeys and my horses are starving. And so we're going to have to go out to every pond, every creek, every but anything that's got water anywhere. We're going to have to pick all of the grass or get all the hay that we can put together to at least keep some of them alive. The Bible says that they started out and they went two different directions. And so Ahab went his way and Obadiah is walking his way and lo and behold comes upon the prophet Elijah. And Obadiah falls at his feet and he says, man, is that you? He says, it's, it's me. He said, man, King Ahaz been looking for you. And Elijah said, well, that's good because I'm coming to look for him too. He said, I need you to go tell him, but I'm looking for him. And Obadiah says, I don't think so. He said, just as sure as I go find him, I'll get back and the Lord will hide you and I'll get back here and I will have told him that you're here and you won't be here and he'll kill me because he's been looking for you everywhere and everybody's telling him they don't know where you are he said don't you realize that I I've been hiding when 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 Ahab decided to kill, excuse me, when Jezebel decided to kill and to cut off all the prophets, I hid 50 in one cave and 50 in another and kept them alive with bread and water. If she finds that out, I'll be in trouble enough. I can't, I can't take a chance on you not being here. But, but Elijah said, just go get him. I, I'm going to stay right here. So when Ahab finally comes, when Ahab sees him, he says to Elijah, there's the troublemaker I've been looking for. And Elijah says, no, I don't think so. I'm not the troublemaker. You and your wife are the troublemaker because you've rejected the commandments of the Lord.
1: And he said, we're going to have a showdown. And we're the God who answers by fire, that's who's going to be God.
0: And I know you know the story, but just let me hit the high points of it tonight. you got to understand, see, Jezebel wants to silence the voice of revival, and so here they are. They get up to Mount Carmel, and he he brings Ahab brings eight hundred fifty prophets. There were four hundred fifty prophets of Baal, then there were four hundred additional false prophets who pastored these idolatrous houses of worship, and they brought them all up to the top of Mount Carmel. And Elijah said, "What we're going to do is we're both going to cut up a bull each. We're going to put it on this altar." And we're going to cry out to our God, and whoever enters by fire, that's who we're going to serve, and that's who's going to be God. So they agreed, and the Bible says he even was kind enough, said, you pick the bull you want, and I'll let you go first. And so they got the bull cut up. They put it on the altar, and the Bible says from morning till noon, they cried out with no response whatsoever. And Elijah began to make fun of them. I said, maybe he's busy. One version says maybe he went to the potty. Maybe he had to go on an errand. Cry louder. You're not getting his attention. And so they cried louder and louder, and they got so desperate. The Bible says they cut their bodies until the blood gushed out of their body with no response. And when Elijah, he cut up his bull, he prepared it, but the first thing he did was repair the altar of the Lord. Hallelujah. And he put that that sacrifice on top of there, and just for fun, he got four barrels. And you know, we had been in a drought. But he said, I want you to to put four, wa- four barrels of water on there. And I want you to do it a second time. And just for fun, I want you to do it a third time. He dug a trench all around the altar. And the water poured over the sacrifice and filled the trench. And then he looked up into heaven and said a simple prayer and said, Lord, you know why I'm doing this, not for my glory, but to prove that you are the God of all gods. And after that simple prayer, fire came down from heaven, licked up the sacrifice, the stones, the water, the dust, and those prophets of Baal cried out, The Lord is God. The Lord is God. Revival broke out on Mount Carmel. Well, Jezebel wasn't going to
1: have that.
0: She wasn't going to have it because not not only did they admit that God, our God, the God was God, but he said, don't you let any one of them escape. And he killed every single one of them. Oh, she was ticked off. So what did she say? She said, boy, you better start running because by this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. What was she doing? She was silencing the voice of revival. God had been proven that he was the true God, but she was not going to have her authority usurped. She wasn't going to
1: give it up. You see, a
0: real outbreak of the Holy Ghost many times will stir up things. An outbreak of the Spirit of God will bring to light these spirits that have been in operation. A real Holy Ghost revival will break the bonds of the spirit of control. Jezebel is a worshiper of self. Jezebel doesn't want the flow of God's spirit to get outside her clutches. And even though Jezebel was judged, you can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 9, even as gruesome as thrown out of a second story window on the ground, trampled by the horse, of Jehu, and the dogs came and licked up all that was left. Even though she was judged, it's interesting because we read about it this morning, within 60 years from the day of Pentecost, this spirit was active again wreaking havoc in the church of Thyatira. We must learn that Jezebel doesn't respect the move of God. When her control is threatened, she will rally her forces in attempt to stifle the voice of revival. What does Jezebel want? She wants anything that happens to flow through her so that she is the focus and that she's the one getting the credit. I have seen in my 23 years of evangelism the fire of revival start to burn and there begin to be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost and someone who cannot handle not being the center of the move of God wants to rechannel that river to flow through them so that everyone sees them instead of seeing and experiencing the glory of God. That's why we are desperate to see a Jesus revival break out this evangelist is hungry for a Jesus revival when a Jesus revival breaks out it's not focused on any man getting the credit yes God uses people yes God uses men and women of God and he uses them to preach and to minister but when a Jesus revival breaks out Jesus is the one getting the glory you recall in Acts chapter 2 it was Peter that preached Jesus on the day of Pentecost you recall in Acts chapter 3 Jesus is the focus as the they ministered to that lame man, and and Peter was quick to say, "Listen, it's not us that did the miracle; it's Jesus of Nazareth that did the miracle." In Acts chapter four, when they stood before that high council, they talked about Jesus and who he was. In Acts chapter five, when Peter was put in prison, and the church prayed, and an angel was sent to get him out of prison in the middle of the night, and they went right back to the place where they were teaching. Who were they teaching and preaching? It was Jesus. In Acts chapter 6, the Bible says of the ministry of that deacon Stephen, he was so anointed that people could not refuse the ministry and they refuse the words that he spake. They couldn't get over what he was saying. What was his subject? It was Jesus. In Acts chapter 7, when they were about to stone him for 51 and a half verses, he preached the person of Jesus Christ and how they had rejected him. Are you getting this tonight? Jesus Christ has got to become the focal point of the church again. Jesus Christ has got to be the center focus in our message. We need to preach Jesus again and Him crucified. Hallelujah. But Jezebel will do anything she can to
1: get in the way of Jesus being saved.
0: Several years ago from about 2009 to 2015, God gave this ministry the very humbling privilege of working in the Middle East. With the underground church For those years I was going about every six months I've walked down many flights of stairs Into rooms that nobody know exist And the focus upon the person of Jesus Was life transforming
1: When you walk to the threshold number one Of those rooms The first thing you see is everybody on their face Thanking God for one more opportunity to meet because it could be their last. There is an overwhelming love of Jesus. It is absolutely indescribable. And there is so much faith in the room that sickness cannot live. Instantaneous healing.
0: One particular night, we were having an emphasis. They're having so many people saved. They have a continual emphasis on the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And that particular night, it was like Peter at Cornelius' house. I was preaching on the baptism, and the Holy Ghost just fell while I was preaching. Over 300 people instantaneously received the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Say that for the glory of Jesus, but here's the point. In the worship time that night, as that worship team was leading, there was a little apostle there, and they had a banner behind them with the name of Jesus on it. And he recognized that he was standing in front of that, blocking the name of Jesus, and he fell on his knees because he did not want anyone to be
1: impaired from seeing the name of Jesus on that. Day. Hallelujah. The Jezebel will do anything she can to get in the way of Jesus being the focus.
0: And then number three tonight is the spirit of Michael. So we have the spirit of Herodias wants to silence the voice of repentance.
1: The spirit of Jezebel wants to silence the voice of revival. Number three tonight, the spirit of Michael
0: wants to silence the voice of rejoicing or praise. Satan hates the rejoicing and praise of God's people because it establishes the presence of God in the church. God dwells in the midst of praise. Psalm twenty-two three says that God dwells in the place where praise is continually offered. And even before his eviction from heaven until now, Satan has had a jealousy and hatred for the worship that only belongs to God because he has always wanted it for himself. From the beginning of time since Cain killed Abel over a worship issue, Satan has continually tried to interfere in the spiritual health of God's people by trying to contaminate the worship experience. Nothing illustrates the attack upon praise and rejoicing like the story of David when he brought back the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. David sought the Ark for the Ark with great passion until he found it. And after much distress and heartbreak, many of you know the story of the things that they went through to get the Ark back. David finally took the proper steps to return the Ark of God. And rejoicing in celebration like few had ever seen was breaking out in the streets as David returned from the house of Obed-Edom with the ark. David could not help himself anymore. He had to get involved in the worship, and his kingly composure gave way to a happy heart. The psalmist came pouring out of him as he removed his stately robes and put on the priest ephod. And he danced before the Lord, the Bible said, with all of his might. You can read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 6. So he humbled himself. He just got sweaty dancing before the Lord. And his wife, Michael, had been watching the parade from her upstairs window and had seen David disrobe and dance all over the streets. She was embarrassed of his worship. Michael loved David as a king, but she hated him as a worshiper. I can see David dancing through the front door at the palace, running up the stairs and shouting, Honey, I'm home. Only to be met with the disdain and disapproval of his wife who made it abundantly clear that David had made a fool of himself, that he had behaved in a way that was beneath a king. It's interesting that Michael, in the entirety of God's Word, is never called David's wife. She is always referred to as Saul's daughter. Just because she married David doesn't change the fact that she was raised in Saul's house. You remember even Saul wanted to alter or change the way that David fought. He wanted David to use his armor. He did not want him to use the slingshot that had been proven. Even when Saul asked David to come in and begin to play songs and minister to him to drive evil spirits away, Saul threw a javelin at him. He was always trying to kill David's praise. Saul was saying, I want you to sing and play, but I'll tell you how far you can go. I've seen a lot of cases in a lot of churches where God's anointing was on somebody and God used them in a powerful way in the worship but there was jealousy in the camp and somebody else who had little control tried to push them in a corner so they would not be seen so that they would be the one that the move of God would flow through. I've seen it many times. What are they doing? They're throwing a javelin trying to kill the praise of that person whose God hand, whose God's hand was on. Oh, oh, oh Saul could not handle it when they said Saul's killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. He traveled, he hunted him down five years on horseback, trying to take his life, to put out his praise once and for all. And there's people that the enemy gets in their heart, and they get, on they have some vendetta in their heart, operating in this spirit, trying to kill whoever God might be using. When what they need to do is be thankful, what they need to do is praise God for that gift. What they need to do is say glory to God that your hand is on them. But that makes it obvious that it's about
1: them and not about Jesus. David
0: said in Psalm 27 verse 2, when the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. I love David's response to his wife. David said, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord and over Israel. He said, Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. You know what David was saying in good old Springfield, Missouri vernacular? He was saying, You ain't seen nothing yet. You hadn't seen my best praise. We can't allow status, position, money, pride, fear of what somebody thinks or concern about wrinkling my shirt or mascara running down my face to keep me from praising my Jesus this has been a prevailing problem in the Pentecostal church for several years we like the blessing and the influence we have enjoyed but don't want to be associated with the fire of Pentecost I'm not talking about getting out of the flesh and getting out of order I'm talking about liberty and freedom in the Holy Ghost it's time to be loose and free in the spirit because loose and free praise in the Holy Ghost is infectious that's one word we heard a whole lot the past year and a half is the word infectious there needs to be an infectious thing that breaks out and outgrow the assembly of God called the praise unto God from a heart that loves him. I'm talking about dancing. somebody needs to dance again somebody needs to shout again somebody needs to get in the aisle and praise God again. It's time for an outbreak of something fresh in our praise. We need the liberty of Jesus to infect the entire congregation. And we refuse to let the javelin of Saul hinder our praise. I've seen a lot of people through the years get critical of others that are praising God in a way they feel is undignified. But you may not know what Jesus has done for that person. You may not have been there when God healed them of cancer. You may not have been there when God brought their daughter home that was a drug addict. You may not have been there when God saved their son that was an alcoholic. You might not have been there when God put their marriage back together. You might not have been there when God came through and they couldn't pay that bill, but somehow by a miracle, God supplied the need and he got paid. You may not have been there when God moved in their life. It's time that we start looking at somebody else and being critical and get involved ourselves and get loose in praising Jesus
1: with all of our heart.
0: The spirit of Michael, she wants to raise her voice. She wants to limit or affect or silence the voice of
1: rejoicing. Satan hates worship that carries revival.
0: Not only on this platform, this worship team, Maybe they realize it, whether they realize it or not, they are carriers and conductors of revival. And how they live their life greatly affects what happens on this platform. I told them last night as we were eating a meal about three aspects of worship. Number one is the life of consecration and dedication of the people on this platform. You let me teach for a minute. When people come to this platform who live lives of consecration to the Lord, and live lives of holiness unto the Lord, it matters. You hear me, young people? The Lord is not just going to anoint anything. We have a great confusion in this culture of anointing and talent. we have I've heard a lot of talented people that didn't have the touch of God on their life. But it's a powerful combination when someone has giftings and has the touch of God upon those giftings. We must learn to know the difference. But the life that we live is crucial to our effectiveness because it is a life of holiness that produces power in our life. Our abstinence from the world, the things of the world, the mindset of this world, the distant, the, the, the separation that we live, and not involving ourselves in the way of the world. Ephesians chapter 2, this is good preaching tonight, talks about the course of this world that we all used to be on, following the course of this world. But by the grace of God, He's lived, raised us up to sit with Jesus in heavenly places. Hallelujah. Not only. A life of consecration and holiness, but second of all, is creating an atmosphere. And when this team comes up here, they've been living for Jesus, communing with the Lord. Therefore, when when Pastor's daughter is leading, and usually from that, you're having to put up with me this week when she's leading from that piano. And your your worship team is here and they're moving by the Spirit of God, getting you to that sweet spot, to that place that moves you past the surface down into that place where the Spirit of God is, where anything can happen, where faith, because until our spirit connects with the Holy Spirit, we have not worshipped. Satan hates that. He does not want that to happen. That's why he throws every javelin he can throw. That's why he wants to create jealousy up here. He'll do anything he can to get in the way. He'll try to cause this person not to like that person. He'll try to cause this person to get competitive with this person. He'll do anything he can to sow seeds of, of a lack of faith. He'll do anything he can to get in the way of there being that pure spirit of unity to lead you into worship because he does not want the spirit of revival to be on what's happening this what happens up here is so important because it brings you into the presence of the lord and then finally is spiritual warfare every time this team steps up here they're involved in spiritual warfare Every service that you come to in this church, as you begin to move into the presence of God, the enemy of our soul wants to do everything he can to distract, to keep us. He wants to keep our mind focused on other things. He wants to attack us with feelings of of a lack of self-worth. He wants to do anything possible to hinder us from moving into the presence of the Lord. And sometimes it's a fight. Sometimes it doesn't take five or ten minutes. Sometimes. It might take 40, 45 or 50 minutes before the atmosphere is set and the heart is prepared for the seed of the word of God but until it gets to that place we cannot stop because until the heart is prepared they're not ready for the word until we get to that place where faith has filled the building many times a pastor comes to this pulpit with the word of God burning on his heart for that service but because the ground is not prepared and people haven't moved into the presence of God because they're minds are here there and everywhere the this word this seed does not fall on good ground but we have to move oh satan hates it when we get to that place he'll do anything he can he hates worship and exalts christ and his lordship he hates worship that causes an atmosphere where the holy spirit is at work lifting up jesus and displaying his authority After all, it was Satan who rebelled against God. And even though it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the reality that he, over a a third of the angels he convinced to go with him and rebellion against the Lord. And ever since that time, He has made it his job to try to remove the focus from Jesus Christ. But tonight I know this church is with me in heart, soul, mind, and I want you to lift your hands with me, and I want you to begin to worship Jesus and give him the preeminence and the glory that he deserves. Jesus, you are highly exalted in this room tonight. Jesus, I magnify you. I glorify your sweet and holy name. You are the only one that saves. You're the only one that can heal. You're the only one that Can deliver. You're the precious baptizer in the Holy Ghost. You're the one we're looking for in the eastern sky, our soon coming king. You're the one who can do anything. You're the one who can deliver every captive. You're the one who can break every chain. You're the one who can show up in the midst of somebody's life tonight in turmoil and turn it all around and we worship you and we magnify you. Absolutely, we must have, Lord Jesus, a revival of who you are break out again. Hallelujah. 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 Stand with me tonight. For a worship team of musicians would come. My brother, if you'd help me on the piano again, that would be very, very helpful. Oh, revival is a necessity.
1: Because this city, it is absolutely imperative that they experience what who Jesus is in all of His glory. Just driving to and
0: from this church, and even yesterday, I uh, was driving around a little bit in this area where the church is. And everywhere that I minister, i praying in advance, but saying, God, give me a burden for that place. Give me a burden for the streets around that church. Give me a burden for that city. Give me a burden for the children and the students and the families that are
1: broken. Give me a burden,
0: Lord. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for the people of this community and those in proximity to this church that so desperately need Jesus and need to see an outbreak and an outpouring of the person of Jesus where people don't leave talking about a man, but they leave talking about Jesus and how awesome he is. I believe I'm looking at some hungry people tonight who want to believe with me for a Jesus revival to break out. For there to be a moment where suddenly something happens and there is an absolute total change of purpose, change of focus, where we know in our hearts that something is different that there's something tangible of the Spirit of God that's moved us into a completely different place. Where people drive by this church and get under conviction of their sin. Where people pull through the parking lot and get healed in their body because of the power of God that's moving here. Where people get in proximity to this church and people who hadn't thought about Jesus in years they begin to think about who He is and begin to think about eternity. That people begin to be drawn here like a magnet from every walk of life. People from every rung of the socioeconomic ladder, every color, every creed, drawn from all over this city to a church that's going to present Jesus Christ to them and allow the freedom and operation of the Holy Ghost. But Herodias, she wants to get in the way. Any preacher that preaches with boldness a message of repentance, there's going to be some people not going to like it. Old Jezebel, she wants to shut down the voice of revival. To remove the, the, the changes, the focus and the course away from her But she wants to control it and wants it to flow through her So she can control and get the glory But in the name of Jesus, she is not going to have her way and In the name of Jesus, we refuse to let the spirit of Michael that wants to shut down our rejoicing And change the way that we worship God. We refuse to let her have her way. And we come against her by the power of the blood of Jesus. And declare that this house is going to have liberty. This house is going to have freedom. And I believe there's going to be people that are going to move into a whole new vein of worship and praise like you never have before. That people are going to move into a place where they're so open. Oh, they're just, they're just vocal in their praise. They're waving wave their hands. They might dance a little bit. They might even have to run the building if they get too excited. Oh, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Loose us to worship you. Yes. To not let what somebody might think shut us down. But loose us in the name of Jesus.